The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Several years ago when we lived in New Jersey, some of our neighbors, we were getting to know them, and they were hosting a block party and invited the Uphoff family. I think Nathan was a baby, Alan and Akiko. Yeah. And it was just on the other side of our church parking lot, but there was always so many trees and stuff that it might as well have been a different world. Well, we were invited into that world as a family, and I remember when we got to the party, uh, we drove around the block to get there, and we went in, and the backyard was beautiful and kind of neat to see the church property from a different perspective. And uh, we got there, and there were all these white chairs set up in an area, kind of clearly designated by them for, to be the place to where we would go and sit down and talk with everybody. The chairs were there, but over here in a different spot was just a group of all the neighbors who had arrived standing there talking. And they were there. And they were uh, just enjoying themselves, having drinks and the snacks, and it was quite apparent that, well, even though chairs were over there where they wanted us to sit, the actual party, the people, the group of folks, was right there where they were standing. And so I think we put Nathan down in his little carrier on the ground and got some snacks ourselves and joined the group of people. As much as I would have liked to have sat down, we went to where the party actually was. And we all know that's true about a party. It doesn't matter what the host has in mind for where people ought to congregate. It's where they are congregating that actually matters. And the same is, of course, true with God. When you want to be with God, when you want to worship God, we need to go, you need to go, where God says that he actually is and where he truly is. Things were a lot simpler in Eden, especially if you believe Luther's conjecture about what life in the garden was like. Of course, there's certain things you can reasonably infer that the day-to-day -day necessities of the body, eating and shelter were okay because there was no such thing as the harsh elements and the consequences of sin that we now know, okay? And a nice temperate climate, kind of like today, I suppose, maybe even a little warmer. But things were also easier in the garden with regard to worship before the fall. Those of you who have been involved with the midweek studies we've had these last several months might remember that Luther was of the strong opinion that if uh, up until the fall into sin and if it hadn't have happened, the place of worship in the garden would have been the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. They would gather there and remember, God said, don't touch this. Let's go through all the other things that God has told us, and they would have worshipped at that spot, just a simple tree outside. And before, later on, after the fall, and before Exodus, worship of God was kind of fluid for the patriarchs and all of the rest of them. We're right now, in the point of Genesis, where it seems some important event happens, and they're like, let's stop and build an altar and sacrifice to God, long before the book of Leviticus was in everybody's, anybody's mind. 
Abel built an altar. Noah built an altar after the flood. Abraham, after he was given the promise, built an altar. Very fluid about where and what that worship would be. But all the same during those times, in the garden and out of the garden, there was no set, lasting object or place for God's people to go to worship him. They were cast out of the garden and they would move on from spot to spot, different land to different land. But that all changed after the Exodus. That changed after Israel left Egypt. Delivered out of slavery and bondage at Sinai, God gave them the moral law. His explanation of what it means to love him and love neighbor. But he also gave them at that same time the ceremonial law. These are the rules I want you to keep to set yourselves apart as a nation. These are the things I want you to do, Israel, to worship me. He had them set up a tabernacle, an elaborate tent. And that tabernacle served for Israel throughout the days of their sojourning and even up into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. It served as the physical, visible sign of God's local dwelling place with his people. Where that tent was, you could be assured God was there to be worshipped. That tent served as a place of forgiveness. In the glory cloud, we are told, the thick smoke and haze which signified the Lord, which indeed represented the Lord to the people, was filling the temple. And whenever that smoke moved, Israel pulled up their stakes and moved their camp and followed it to where the smoke stopped. Later on, of course, the, temp- the tabernacle was replaced with the big stone edifice of the temple in Jerusalem. It served the same purpose, the exact same purpose as the tabernacle, except this time it was a set and fixed place. You can't really just pull up stakes and move a temple that easily, can you? But it had the same presence of the Lord, the same cloud. After Solomon's dedicatory prayer, it says the smoke came and filled the temple and all the people were awestruck by it. You had the same sacrifices in that temple as you had with the tabernacle and the movable tent. The same thanksgiving, the same forgiveness. You had the same glory. But the temple itself, strong as it was, was not to last. Just as the tree in Eden was replaced later by the altars of the patriarch, and the altars replaced by the tabernacle itself, and the tabernacle replaced by the temple, well, the temple itself was finally destroyed itself replaced. For almost 2,000 years, we've been living in a world that does not have a tabernacle, does not have a temple in Jerusalem. And so the question for people that know anything about the Old Testament and the Bible, the question someone might have who doesn't have our knowledge as Christians, they say, well, where is God's dwelling place with his people now if those things are gone? Where does one go to worship this God of the Bible? Where does one come to receive his gracious forgiveness? The answer to that question is, of course, a very simple and a beautiful one. To go to worship God, one must go to the person of Jesus Christ. John says in his gospel, we traditionally read on Christmas Day, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son of the Father. When John, the evangelist John, says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he is saying essentially that Jesus tabernacled. That is to say, he set up his tent in this world. But instead of a tent made with hands, Jesus is a tent not made with hands. 
Christ, the true and lasting tabernacle of God, the dwelling place is with his people. That is what it means for him to tabernacle with us. And Jesus is God's glory. In him, in Jesus, the person of Jesus, is the forgiveness that God has for us. In Jesus, the person of Jesus, is light and truth. And those things in him are not a temporary thing that are passing away, but they are a thing that lasts in, through, and with him forever. See, as the temple and the altars and the tree and all of that passed away, Jesus Christ will be and is and shall be remaining forever. And that's why we gather today in this place to celebrate this reality. God's gracious and forgiving presence is still with his people. He first came to dwell in the world at his incarnation, and that dwelling continues now in that he has left us his word and the holy sacraments, the means of grace whereby our sins are forgiven. And wherever his body, the church, is gathered, he says, I'm there among you. Both today, Christmas Day, and every Lord's Day, we gather together with our incarnate Lord, Jesus Christ, to worship him and to receive his gracious gifts. So let us worship now, this Christmas, in the constant fixed place of God and his mercy 